beginning a new series this morning on the sayings of Jesus from the cross. And I know that we like to celebrate and we like to rejoice, but I also think there's times that we need to be somber and reflective, thinking about what Jesus went through in our behalf. How many would agree with me? And so I know that the video wasn't really inspiring lifting your spirits, but there wasn't much lifting spirits on that day. What were the things that Jesus said from the cross? When someone says to you, I'm dying to tell you something, generally that means they're just really excited to tell you something good or something bad. My, my grandson, Jotham, who's three, when he wants to talk, will say, wait, 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 I need to tell you something. Wait, 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 I need to tell you something. And we'll amplify that by saying, I'm dying to tell you something. Well, in a literal sense, Jesus really was dying to tell us something. And the words that he spoke from the cross weren't flippant or casual or conversational. I believe they were intentional to communicate a message to us as we approach his resurrection. In the case of Jesus, dying to tell you something is literally true. Some of his words were intended for those standing nearby. Some of those words were intended for um, the church specifically, and others were uttered to God. So why did he utter those words to God? Did Jesus need to pray out loud so that God would hear him? Did he do that as a worship experience? And I think not. I was reading in John chapter 11 when Jesus comes to deal with the death of his good friend Lazarus. And when they come to the tomb and he asks for the stone to be rolled away, here's what John records. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. That when Jesus prayed out loud, it wasn't so the Father would hear him, it's so that we would hear him pray. And we would know what he was praying and the implications of that being made clear by the context. And this is especially true, I believe, about the first utterance of Christ from the cross. The first thing that he says, I believe, sets the tone for everything else that happens. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 23, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And at that moment, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Why would Jesus pray that? Why wouldn't he pray, Father, send 12 legions of angels and get this thing over with and let's start over? Why would he simply pray, Father, forgive them without repentance, without some pathway? Why would he simply pray that kind of prayer? Could God even answer that kind of prayer? Why would Jesus pray that? And I believe the reason he prayed that was because he was dying to tell us something. What did he want us to know? Number one, the cross is all about reaching the lost. The cross is all about reaching lost people. As Jesus is dying on the cross, 
we see clearly portrayed for us the heart of Jesus. He is dying between two thieves. The disciples have basically forsaken him, and all around him are people in need of the truth of the gospel. He could have said many things. He could have rebuked them because Jesus wasn't subtle or shy about rebuking people. There are times that he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Called them a generation of vipers. And if I were hanging there, thankfully I wasn't, and you weren't. But it would seem to make sense to me for him to say, Woe to you, sinners. Woe to you, heathen. You have no idea that you've crucified the Lord of glory. And and you say, well, he wouldn't say that. Oh, no, listen to what he said said on the way to the cross on the way to the cross a large number of people followed him including women who mourned and wailed for him Jesus turned to them before the cross and said daughters of Jerusalem do not weep for me weep for yourselves and for your children for the time will come when you will say blessed are the barren women the wombs that have never bore and the breasts that have never nursed then they will say to the mountains fall on us and the hills cover us For if men do these things when the tree is green, Jesus, what will they do to the tree that's dry, the nation of Israel that had walked away from Father God? He was not at all inhibited from rebuking them when they needed rebuke. He was not at all hesitant to call out their sin. In fact, that's what drove them to want to crucify him. He could have pronounced all kinds of woe on them and judgment on them and warned them as he did the women on the way. But as he's hanging there, the first words out of his mouth are words of forgiveness. It's a call for forgiveness. It's a declaration of the heart of Jesus. Father, as I'm suffering, dying, hanging here, my heart cry, Father, God is that you would forgive them for they have no idea what they're doing. I'm telling you this morning, the heart of Jesus is forgiveness. I had an email that came this week from someone who said, I don't know if Jesus can forgive me. I feel so foolish and broken and damaged for what's happened in my life. And I didn't even have to think about the answer. I don't have to give someone therapy for that. I can just tell them. The Bible says that Jesus wants to forgive us. And if we will come to him, he will forgive us. And the prodigal son, if you quit running away and start running toward, he will forgive you. How many of you are glad this morning that the heart of God and the heart of Savior is driven toward forgiveness? That's what he wants to do. That's what his heart is. Not to punish or inflict pain or destroy us, but it's the heart of God. Wherever you are, whatever you've experienced, whatever you've gone through, God wants to forgive you. The heart of Jesus is a heart of forgiveness. You see, wasn't that the very mission of Jesus? Do you remember when Joseph was talked to by the angel? When he found out that Mary was pregnant and he wasn't the natural biological father and he's going to put her away privately so to not embarrass her, but he's not planning to move forward with the message. And there was a word that came to him from the angel that said what? You will call his name Jesus. 
For he will save his people from their sins. That mission that was prophesied over him by the angel, that was foretold by the prophets of old, that is communicated as Jesus hung on the cross, never changed. The focus never changed. It was to bring forgiveness to a lost and dying world. Peter records it this way. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, let me ask you, God says that he's not willing that any should perish. Does that mean none will perish? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means if you perish, you'll perish against the will of God. It means if you continue in your rebellion, you'll do it in in, in uh, opposed to the will of God for your life. It's not his will that you be destroyed. Come on, is there anyone in the house? It's his will that you have life. Jesus came to give life, but he came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He came to a lost and dying, broken world. God so loved that he sent his son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life because the heart and mission of Jesus was to bring forgiveness to a broken world, and that's the first thing that it communicates from the cross. Reaching people, lost people by way of the cross. He's paying our price. Our sins separated us from God. And I'm just going to, I just want to make it really clear. Jesus didn't come to give you a better life. He came to give you abundant life, but not a better life. Just making your life better isn't what faith is about. We don't like to talk about sin, but the Bible is really clear. The soul that sins, it shall die. And we can redefine it. We can requantify it. We can reform it. We can reshape it. We can say that things that used to be sin aren't sin anymore so that nothing is ever sin. But the reality is sin is a destroyer. It will ruin your life. And Jesus came to rescue us from darkness. I believe that the church needs to stand up again and say with boldness and clarity some things are wrong and will destroy your life and we are not going to encourage you to go down those roads of brokenness. The cross calls people who are far from God to come and receive forgiveness, to kneel at the cross and receive and hear him pray, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And what is he crying over Ukraine? What is he crying over the U.S.? What is he crying over our world? Father, forgive them is the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. It's the first thing that he utters from the cross. And that should be our message to lost people. When I pause like that, you can help me or I'll just look at you. (laughs) We have some plans. Make no mistake. I believe in reaching out to a world in a way that you can touch them. I don't believe we should stand on University Avenue with placards that say, repent or perish. I don't believe that's going to draw people to the cross. I don't believe that'll draw people in to hear the message. We're going to do some things this year to try to be both attractional and missional. We're going to run the train, but you know that train won't take anybody to heaven. It'll take them around the parking lot. 
but it won't take them to heaven. We plan to do some other things. We're looking at doing some other things to serve our community. And those things will make us more attractional. But if people come, if we, last year we did Super Sunday Family Fun Days to draw people in. And if we do that again next year and it's fun, we haven't accomplished a thing if all we do is have fun. But if we can get them here, do you know what will happen? People drop their guard. They begin to talk about their brokenness. They begin to share where they hurt. And I don't, I don't have to say to them, do you want to ride the train again? Maybe that'll make you feel better. No, I have an answer. Come on, someone help me right now. We have a solution. What is that? That God the Father, through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit, wants to say to every broken life that inherently knows they're separated from God that there is a place of forgiveness. There's a place where your sins can be washed away, that burden can be lifted. And I'll never, ever forget a conversation I had with a man at the gym. You've heard this story before. But he asked if we had a prayer of the penitent. And I said, I don't know what that is. And he, he said, well, I do, but I don't. I don't pray that prayer. We don't have written, I said, we don't have written prayers per se. And he said, so what do you do when you do something wrong? I said, we ask Jesus to forgive us. Like right here, right now? Yeah, I could do it right here, right now. Never forget his response. Pretty convenient, isn't it? And I said, that's kind of the point. Because if I do something here and have to drive home and wait for a religious opportunity <laughs> and die, I'm in trouble. But I believe in a God, oh man, I believe in a God that is a very present help in time of trouble. Not just in times of derecho, not just in times of tornado, not just in times of war, but when I'm broken of heart, when I am beaten down by sin in my life, that I can come to him and he will receive me and I know that he will forgive me because the first words of Jesus from the cross weren't judgment in hell. It was forgiveness. Father, forgive them is what he is crying today. And if the Father, through the Son, wants to forgive them, don't you think that's a message we need to take to a lost and dying world around us? We need to get them into the house of God, the place where their life can be touched, where they'll experience the blessing of God. Father, forgive them. Secondly, the gift of forgiveness is available to everyone. Kind of alluded to this, but I want to explore it a little bit further this morning. Can the prayer of Jesus be answered? Did God at that moment, are you okay? I'm going to push on you a little bit because I think we ought to wrestle with the text. We need to explore it. Elbow your neighbors, say this will be over soon. (laughs) Did God in that moment hear the prayer of his son and grant forgiveness to everyone that was there for crucifying Jesus? 
Did he do that? Can he do that? Is that even possible? What does scripture tell us? Can we be forgiven without repenting? And what would it mean if God forgave them? Well, let me tell you first, even if God did grant, how many are still with me? Even if God did grant forgiveness for that infraction, which I don't believe he did, they're still going to hell because they haven't received the gift of life from the Savior. How many are hearing what I'm saying? But I don't believe that the way that could be interpreted is the way that it's intended to be. I don't believe that Jesus was simply saying, discharge them from their sin. Here's what I believe that he was saying. Father, bring them to a place in relationship to you that this sin will not be charged against them. I have unsaved family members. Now, you're, I'm going to mess with you a little bit. You're all looking like you need to be woke, awakened a little bit. Not woke. That's a different problem. <laughs> you need to be awakened. <laughs> you be careful what I say here. A cannon will be used against me. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Waking us up, thinking about what all of that means. So I have family members. You're going to think I'm terrible in a minute, but that's okay. I have family members that I will pray for God to bless them. But I don't want God to bless them in their lifestyle. If their lifestyle experienced the blessing of God, they will have no motivation to come to God. So when I pray for them to be blessed... It doesn't mean I want them to be healthy and prosperous and enjoying life. It means I want them to experience enough pressure and pain that they will be driven to the Savior who then will be able to give them a life of blessing. So are you praying for them to suffer? Not at all. But here's what I know. Godly sorrow brings about repentance. And without godly sorrow, there will never be repentance. And I know human nature, that until the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change, people will choose to stay the same. And I believe it was that same kind of prayer that Jesus was praying. God, they don't know, Father. And remember, he's praying it so they will hear. What are they hearing him pray? He's, they're hearing them pray. You don't know what you're doing. You have no idea what's happening today and I am praying that God will bring you to a place of forgiveness that you'll not be so jaded and hardened and bitter and uh, uh, and and separated by your sin that you're unwilling to hear the voice of God in your spirit because that's what sin does do you know the more you sin the harder your heart gets and what greater sin might there be than watching the Son of God die and laughing at his death? You say, well, do you have anything to back it up? You know, I thought you might ask that. So that, well, let's see what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus has died, put in the sepulcher, 
raised from the dead, is with the disciples, teaching them until the day that he is taken up from heaven. And then they're told to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the promise of the Father. To not leave until they experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit. To not leave. And while they're there waiting and doing business, then there comes a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind fills the house. Tongues of fire sat on them. They all began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance and it was heard all over town. An incredible revival service. And then when the crowd is gathered, what does Peter do? He stands up, this denier, this coward, this foot-in-mouth apostle stands up and faces the crowd and begins to preach to them. Listen to what he says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. But you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. What is Peter doing? He's confronting them with the sin of crucifying Jesus. So I know that that spirit-empowered sermon cannot be in conflict with the cry of Jesus from the cross. He is praying that the world would come to repentance, that all of those that watched him die, and I really think in his heart, if you'd give me a little bit of freedom, is simply to explain it this way. Father, don't let anyone who has watched me die on this cross miss out on the reason that I have died. Bring them to a place of repentance. Bring them to a place of surrender. Let them remember this moment until they surrender their life to you. Don't let this sin be laid to their charge. That requires a work of the Holy Spirit for that to happen. Peter confronts them with their sin. But then he says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What you did was terribly wrong, Peter is saying. You need to see the depravity and depth of your sin. You see, you can't help people that don't think they need help. Jesus said that over and over in the Gospels. I didn't come to the healthy. I came to the sick. I didn't come to the found. I came for the lost. Because you can't help people who keep justifying their own behaviors. You can't help people who are justifying their sin. And here's what I know. If you look hard enough and long enough and far enough, you'll find someone that will tell you what you're doing is right. When you know in the quietness of your spirit that what you're doing is wrong. Sin is a deceiver. Sin is a liar. Sin is a destroyer. And Peter is saying to them, you sinned. You killed the Lord of glory. And in that moment, the Spirit of God moved into the room and made their sin apparent to them. See, it doesn't matter if you can see my sin. I need to see it. I need to see it. 
It's available to everyone, but it's got to be appropriated. So then what happened when he preached that message? (laughs) Jesus' prayer on the cross was answered 3,000 times. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus' prayer on the cross was answered 3,000 times. No, it was answered once. No, because we don't come to Christ as a group. We don't come in mass. Heaven recorded every one of them that responded to the message of Peter to repent, which was the call, repent, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, 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 because there is no forgiveness without repentance. So Jesus is crying out, God, the Father, bring a revival of the Spirit into this place so that no one need die guilty of this sin. Let it be cleansed from their life. Peter goes on to preach, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Do you see what he just did? He doesn't hesitate. He already mentioned it to them, but then he says, Jesus, um, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. How would you like to be in that kind of a service? This same Jesus that was there when you failed. That same Jesus that was there when you made the wrong choice. That same Jesus was there. That Jesus that you rejected, that you pushed away. That same Jesus whom you crucified. He made him Lord and Christ. And when people heard this, they were cut to their heart. Do you know that's only something God can do? (laughs) Barry, I'm going to pick on you a minute. But here's what I know. If Barry, let's say that Barry is not a Christ follower, all right? He's not a Christian. He doesn't know Jesus. But he thinks he's okay. I can pound him and pound him and pound him with the Bible and with arguments and point out his sin and say, what is wrong with you, you moron? Can't you see where this road is taking you? Can't you see the consequence? But here's what I know. He can't. He can't. If he could, he would change. But while I'm telling him, knowing that I can't change him, the Spirit of God comes by, takes the sword of the Spirit, and stabs him in the heart. And all of a sudden, have you ever been there? All of a sudden, the Spirit of God opens up your sin. number of Years ago, pastoring our first church, we had an evangelist, and uh, he talked about people who were critical about a certain thing, and, and I realized when he was talking, I was the man, and I felt like everyone in the room was looking right at me, pointing their finger, saying, he's the man. How many, have you ever had that feeling? Is everybody looking? No. Is everybody pointing? No. But what the Spirit of God does is something mankind can't do. While he's preaching words that are just words from a man, the Spirit of God cuts through all of that and you have a moment of lucid revelation to see the brokenness of your life and they cry out in that moment, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, they could have walked away and they'd have been the same. They could have shut it 
it out and nothing would have changed and the prayer would not have been answered in their behalf. But in that moment, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. With many other words, he didn't comfort them. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can you imagine what's going on in heaven? It's the first harvest. It's the first answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed from the cross. It's the first harvest, the first answer from his death, burial, and resurrection. 3,000 people made commitments. There was, there was shouting on the streets of glory on that day when men and women uh, made commitments of their life to Jesus Christ. But it didn't happen until they were cut to the heart. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it separates the thoughts and intents of the heart. Have you ever prayed, God, take your, talking to believers now, take your sword and cut my heart so I can see what you see. Because until that happens to us, it's never going to happen to lost people. Come on. The prayer of Jesus is answered that day 3,000 times. And it is still being answered today. Father, forgive them. What I find really interesting then is how blind the world is to the provision of the Father. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, and forgiveness is available to everyone, and we see it happening in Acts chapter 2, but in that moment, how blind do you have to be? How lost do you have to be? How thick-headed, hard-hearted, and dead in spirit do you have to be? Be standing at the foot of the cross with the blood of Jesus running down the cross and dripping on the ground and all of heaven is watching this display and to not have any idea what's really happening. Obliviously, disrespectful, and ungodly. The Bible says, after Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, the people stood watching, the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. The greatest gift of eternity is being offered, and they mock it. The natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit of God. 
They're foolish to him. Neither can they know them because they're spiritually discerned. They simply don't get it. I watch the news. I watch commentators. And sometimes they really tick me off. But there was a moment last night on the 10 o'clock news. I'm not going to say who. Um, but you can look it up, rewatch it. This was amazing to me. There are moments when the light of the gospel shines through. So they have various reporters on the field, and sometimes, um, sometimes they can frustrate me because they can say the same thing 12 different ways. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, got anything else? Let's move on. But there was an older gentleman in uh, Winterset and reporting on the damage done. And the, and the news broadcaster in the studio said to him, I mean, I, I rewound this like five times to hear it again. He said, called the reporter by name, and he said, I'm so glad you're there. I know that you're being an encouragement to people because I know that your faith informs your reporting. I said, he didn't just say that. Every time I rewound it and played it again, that's what he said. I'm glad you're there. You're encouraging people. And I know that your faith informs your reporting. That's why we need believers in all of the high places of our culture. We need them in education. We need them in media. We need them in news broadcasting. We need them in business. We need them everywhere because there are those moments when your faith will inform what you're doing in a way that will be a blessing. And on the news, someone recognized that who must also be a person of faith and gave expression to that. Why did that strike me? Because it never happens. When was the last time you saw believers portrayed in a positive light on the news or in the culture? It rarely, if ever, happens because the natural man can't understand the things of the Spirit of God. I watched the broadcaster right beside him who kind of went... And went another direction. I thought, man, I'd love to be there and hear that conversation afterwards. You know, I'd really love to hear what happens here. I hope he still has the job tomorrow, so pray for him that God will keep him uh, protected. But my point being, they can't receive it. So can you hear me just for a minute? If you call yourself a believer, but you can't hear the voice of God, you're not a believer. You're religious. You're a dead tree. You have all the trappings of religion while denying the power thereof. Because that's the mark of the natural man. Rejecting, ignoring, not responding. Self-justifying and ridiculing truth. Ridiculing the gospel. Ridiculing Jesus. They stood there where the drops of blood could literally have fallen on their head. And they mock divine provision. So while Jesus prayed for it and God made it available, the world doesn't get it.
They don't get it. So don't be surprised when they don't respond to you with favor. Don't get caught up in the world's reactions. Don't react to the mockers. Just know that if they are reacting, even with mockery, at least there's an opportunity to engage them because if they're reacting, they're at least hearing it and aware of what's happening. And if you'll be faithful, there'll be a day that thousands will come to Christ. But don't be surprised. I don't expect. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I remember. Does anybody remember when Wednesday night was church night? <laughs> now it's almost a crime to even ask that. I want to go back to Lake Wobegon, where men are men and women are women. Is there anybody in the house right now? Oh, you're nervous, aren't you? I just rattled. Don't say that. They're going to drag you away. You see, I don't expect anymore the world to agree with me. But I'm I'm going to make sure they hear me. Because I believe when you speak it, the power of God will empower it. And when God cuts their heart, they're going to know where to go to get an answer. Is anyone hearing me right now? They'll know where to go for an answer. (laughs) We need to be ready to reach them. What was Jesus saying? What was the first thing he was saying from the cross? The cross Pastor Nathan, if you come to the cross, if it is anything at all, the cross is about forgiveness. Come on, is there anyone in the house? The cry of Jesus was, Father, forgive them. So here's what I want to ask us to do this morning. I want you to pray this way. Not these, but this way. Jesus, What mocker do you want me to reach to? What would happen on Resurrection Sunday if we decided that for the next six weeks, we are going to ask God to send us to people that we can bring to the house of God to experience the resurrection power of Jesus on Resurrection Sunday? But they won't, they, they, they'll just get mad. What have you lost? They'll mock me. Good. means they're hearing you. Because if they're going to mock right at the foot of the cross, don't expect affirmation. Expect the power of the Holy Spirit. Is anyone hearing me right now? The message is about lost people. It's, we'll, we'll, do some, we'll do some fun things on Resurrection Sunday train's going to run. We're going to have pastries. Hallelujah. Free. Double hallelujah. Water and coffee. Photo booths. And I'm for that. So don't misunderstand what I'm going to say next. I'm for that. It's a day of celebration. But God forbid. God forbid that we begin to think that's what Resurrection Sunday is about. If nobody comes 
who is far from God, then let's throw the pastries away. I used to say, pastor, before when we'd have an event, I'd say to people, if you don't bring a lost person with you, then why don't you stay home? The problem with that is they do. (laughs) They stay home. So I've learned some things along the way. But if it's about forgiveness, shouldn't that be our message? Shouldn't that be our driver? Shouldn't that be our passion? God, help us reach people that are in desperate need of your forgiving grace. Jesus, help us. Would you stand with me? And let's take a moment to worship him. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out. Seeing, separating. The preach was far too wide. From the far side of the path, you had me in your side. Then you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build a here inside. There at the cross. Paid the dead I owe, broke my chains, freed my soul.
speaking and preaching. I know that may be shocking to you. And so you may say, you need to go back to school. I've taught it and consistently, here's what you'll be told. You have about 90 seconds to get people's attention to tell them why they should listen to you. Who was Jesus? He was the word. He was the articulation of the Father. And when you're going to speak, the first things you say matter. And what was the first thing he said? It's what the message was all about. It was a reason to listen. It was the focus of the message. Father, forgive them. Let's make that the heartbeat of our message as well. Amen? Father, forgive them. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for your support financially, whether it's for uh, Ukraine, and we'll let you know what number that comes out to be. Um, I also want to thank you for your ongoing regular support so we can keep doing what God's called us to do. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and giving. And thank you for joining me in prayer that this Resurrection Sunday will be a Sunday that the prayers of Jesus from the cross will be fully on display as lives experience the forgiving power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. What a great God we serve. God bless you. No pastries this morning, but there is free coffee. Bless someone and grab a cup.